0: This is Competition Law with Professor Karan Beaton-Wells, exploring the challenges in competition policy, law and enforcement. This series looks at the impact of those challenges in a digital economy and on society overall, whether you're a citizen, consumer or competitor. In this episode, Karan speaks with Dr. Shilpi Bhattacharya from Jindal Global University and Ujwal Kumar from the Consumer Unity
1: and Trust Society, about digital competition policy developments in India. So our finance minister recently said that we need to be very careful about protecting our domestic companies from these foreign companies abusing their dominance. So I feel that there is now this idea of nationalism and protecting our data. So I think there's now a trend that's happening in this area towards protectionism. Here's Beaton Wells.
0: We've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about the US, EU, Australia, but what about digital competition policy in the developing world? Across developing countries, internet access and use, particularly on mobile, has vastly improved over the last decade. And in large part, that's due to the efforts of big tech and their strategies of reaching the next billion users. But as welcome as such efforts may be, there are risks for competition as a key driver for economic development. Today, we're joined by Shulpi Bhattacharya and Ujwal Kumar to talk about policy and legal developments in India, a country with more than a billion people and over 500 million digital consumers. Shulpi's an academic, and I was curious to know at the outset, Is competition law a popular subject for students and scholars in India?
1: So competition law is growing as an area of interest, and there's a huge demand for competition law to be taught in law schools in India, and that is a direct result of the growing practice of competition law in law firms. So we see a lot of students wanting to study competition law. And that has also resulted in a growing number of people teaching competition law. And so now we have a larger community of academics and competition law as well.
0: And Ushwal, tell us, what's the role of cuts in the competition law ecosystem in India? What's its mission and how does it get involved in competition policy and law debates?
2: Competition law policy debate comes naturally to us because we are a consumer organisation. We be instrumental in getting this new law and we were involved in the part of the process of the change of old regime and the new regime. So we are very much in the privatizing economy. Uh, Competition is the best friend for consumers. So we closely work with competition authority and other people. And we also work on competition reform aspect, not only on competition law enforcement, but we work on competition law and we had also done a movement on competition policy, which government accepted, but is still in draft form and yet to adopt a national competition policy.
0: You and Shilpi were recently involved in a major study on competition policy in the digital economy as it relates to the BRICS grouping, of which India is one. Tell us, what were the objectives of this study?
2: You have jurisprudence of US and jurisprudence in the EU developing, but BRICS may have some other things to offer. Our needs are different, our structures are different. So to give a development perspective to the whole debate, this study was undertaken.
0: And the study does show that to various degrees, the BRICS governments and competition authorities and perhaps India especially, have become increasingly engaged with digital economy issues. So let's talk a bit about why this is so critical for India. Ush, while staying with you, India is certainly one of the largest markets for digital consumers. Tell us a bit about the degree of internet penetration in the country and whether there's much of a digital divide between urban and rural.
2: Yes, the internet penetration has increased a lot in recent past and particularly thanks to one of the market players which launched 4G and it was very cheap, something around 26 cents per GB, which is cheapest in the world. So around 600 million internet subscribers at this moment of time but there is some digital divide between rural and urban it is seems that rural has some 35 to 40% penetration as for now urban has 70 to 80% penetration so uh, there is a divide and there is a gender divide as well but this is narrowing down very fast
0: and indeed Ujwal, i read that india amongst emerging economies is digitizing faster than any other one perhaps save for indonesia To what extent is that attributable to conscious strategies by the government or deliberate policies that are supporting the growth of the digital economy?
2: There is a big Digital India program under that there are many small programs happening which is also in public linked to the governance and then also private e-commerce or digital economy, you can say. The public aspect is, say, for example, we have a biggest project on identification based on uh, biometrics, which is called Aadhaar.
0: This is the Digital Identity Program?
2: Yes, Digital Identity Program, where you have something around 1.3 billion Indians already registered, so very, very few left at this moment of time. The objective of that project was to empower citizens so that authentication happens quite easily and to the private penetration of internet, penetration of phones or any other authentication. So the government program is focused on what is called a JAM, J-A-M. J stands for Jandhan, that is getting people into the banking system, opening accounts. M A R stands for Aadhar and M stands for mobile. So JAM is a strategy for inclusive economy, make economy inclusive. So that is the public aspect. If you can read into the policies and draft documents that is emerging, is like India wants to be a data sovereign country in that sense, Do not want colonised by, uh, say, for example, US and China, so it wants its own uh, ecosystem.
0: We will talk about data sovereignty and data localization in a moment, but you mentioned obviously the US and the Chinese tech giants. Just give us a sense briefly, perhaps starting with the US tech companies, what is their presence in key digital markets in India at the moment?
2: The ecosystem is largely of the US tech giants in India. At this moment of time, I would suggest, according to the official data, Google.com is the biggest platform. Then you have Facebook as the biggest social media, WhatsApp, Twitter, Amazon and Flipkart and Microsoft. These are the giving ecosystem. So they are largely the gatekeepers of digital economy for India at this moment of time.
0: What about the Chinese tech giants? Have they had a somewhat... Different strategy to their U.S. counterparts when it comes to India?
2: The difference I can see in their strategy is that they are more coming as a institutional investors. Perhaps they lost the first presence as far as the presence of social media is concerned, but their talk is one getting In India, WeChat, I don't think, uh, will be able to compete with WhatsApp at this moment, but they are investing a lot. Particularly in the e-payment system, the Indian giant, which is the leader in this market, the PayTM, is largely funded from Alibaba Group. And in food sector, also the online food delivery system, they have that Chinese funding. I'd
1: just like to add, with the coming of 5G, there's also been a lot of debate about Huawei, maybe coming into India to provide 5G technology. So that's also something that maybe we can look forward to.
0: Is that something that may be a matter of concern to the Indian government as it is to governments in other places?
1: Yeah, so I think that is very true. So there's been a lot of discussion about whether we should let that happen and whether we should let our own companies roll out 5G. And there's been a lot of polarized debate on both the sides.
0: I can imagine. Let's Stay with you, Shilpi. And you might tell us a bit more about India's competition law. They've had a modern version of that since 2002. Just broadly, is it consistent with the framework and the provisions we find in the EU or the US? Or is it a hybrid of both? Or does it have its own distinctive Indian characteristics?
1: If you look at the wording and the framework of our Competition Act, 2002, it reads a lot like the European Union's competition regime. In fact, you'll see our definition of relevant market, definition of dominance is exactly the United Brands ratio. But when our competition law was in the process of being debated, they looked into the laws of a lot of different jurisdictions. So the US, EU, Australia, Japan while deciding what India's competition law should look like. But I would say that definitely the strongest influence is of the EU. And we also see that in the CCI's decisions. The number of decisions that CCI refers to are much more from the EU than other jurisdictions.
0: And referring to the CCI and the EU influence, it is an administrative body. So it makes its own determinations about liability and penalties. Is it an active enforcer? And if so, what's been its particular focuses in recent years?
1: So I would say that the CCI has had to hit the ground running, so to speak, because they've not had the luxury of time, resources and expertise, and they've had a lot of complex law issues hit them in the face, I would say, almost. They've taken some bold decisions made a lot of headlines I think one of the regulators be most often seen in the headlines in India imposed large penalties which they're not able to collect most of the time so they have sort of definitely made an impact and people and companies are sitting up and noticing especially early on a lot of decisions that found different kinds of abuses of the Competition Act. But I would say that with the digital economy cases coming up, they've taken a slightly more tentative approach and have been more hesitant to regulate in those areas.
0: Well, let's talk about some of those cases. I'm sure they have hit the headlines. Let's talk about the ones against Google today. There's a case that's been taken in relation to some of Google's search practices. But it seems to me that it's not exactly the same as the European comparison shopping search case. What were the key allegations made against Google in respect of its search practices? And what was found by the CCI in relation to those matters?
1: The informants argued that Google was guilty of abusing its dominance in the way that it was by saying the search results page particularly with regard to its universal results, one boxes and commercial units. And they also argued that Google was imposing unfair conditions on advertisers, as well as in its distribution agreements that it entered into with Apple and Mozilla. And there was a trademark issue as well there with regard to bidding for keywords on AdWords and how that infringed the trademark that other companies had because you could bid on your trademarks. And finally, it was alleged that Google is guilty of abusing its dominance in terms of imposing restrictive conditions in its negotiated search intermediation agreements and its negotiated ad intermediation agreements.
0: Wow, so that's quite a wide-ranging matter in terms of its scope I don't know if you can tell me offhand, how long did it take from the time the complaint was made to the time the matter was resolved against Google?
1: As far as I know, the CCI investigated this case against Google for at least three years. So the whole thing took at least three years, as far as I know.
0: Well, that's still speedy compared to the seven years that we took in Europe to see an outcome. And what was the outcome in this case in terms of penalty and remedy imposed.
1: So interestingly, I think the CCI here tries to hold Google guilty, but also not hold them guilty. So they want to make sure that the incentive to innovate is there, but at the same time, there's no abuse of dominance. So out of all the counts that I said that were investigated against Google, Google was only held guilty of abusing its dominance with regard to its universal results and the design of that results page and the fact that more relevant results were being pushed down while Google was giving the impression that its search results were being ordered by relevance. But at the same time, the CCI only holds Google guilty of this for the way that was designing the results page till 2010, because they say that after 2010, Google introduced this fully floating ranking of results, which made the results page much more relevant and consumer friendly.
0: And there was a fine of some 1.35 billion rupees imposed. Um, <laughs> I, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. That's about 2 million US
1: dollars. Right. And actually, the fine that was imposed was very minimal compared to the kind of fines that the CCI has historically imposed on other companies, especially given Google's large turnover in India. So that was one of the areas of criticism of the Google order that after finding Google guilty of abuse of dominance of these three things, the fine didn't really reflect that.
0: No. And the CCI does have another investigation underway with respect to Google, doesn't it? What does that matter concern?
1: So that is regarding the Android case, which is very, very similar to the European Commission's decision against Google on the Android matter. So I think that mirrors the European Commission's decision quite closely. And the informants in that case have actually been inspired by the European Commission's decision to bring this case before the CCI. And essentially, they have alleged and the CCI has found a prima facie case for investigation against Google with regard to the tying of its Play Store with the other suite of Google apps that are there, as well as making the pre-installation of Google's proprietary apps conditional upon signing of these agreements that do not allow device manufacturers to sell competing or alternative versions of Android.
0: So much more similar to the European counterpart. As you say, it's source of inspiration. Ushwal, maybe you could tell us a bit about some of the key e-commerce cases that the CCI has also been bringing.
2: Yeah, before I get to e-commerce cases, I would like to add one of the Advancement of jurisprudence in India, which is when Bayer was acquiring Monsanto, it was reviewing it. Bayer had to undertake for grant of access to Indian agroclimatic data on their digital farming platforms on fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory terms. And Bayer had to also undertake that on their digital platform, they will allow Indian potential suppliers to be on that platform also. So they will have to supply uh, many of the agroclimatic data to the government institutions for free of charge. So these were the conditions that they had to agree. And coming on e-commerce, largely these have been in favor of the platforms in the sense that the relevant market that the commission has been deciding is taking into account the brick and mortar and online platforms. They were saying that the online platforms is just another form of distribution. But when Walmart was acquiring the Flipkart of India, There were hue and cry from the local online shops. In fact, those are on the platform that this will again enhance the dominance. However, in the merger case, that was not taken into account, but CCI did take the cognizance that if deep discounts or abuse of dominance happen, we can entertain another case on that. The basic focus was predatory pricing and predatory pricing is dealt under abuse of dominance in India. And then for that, you have to prove dominance. But if the case went into the appellate authority and appellate authority has reversed the commission's judgment, so that will be interesting. Then then now commission is going to the higher court. So that is still under pipeline. But the attitude of India is changing and there are certain reforms also suggested by the Law Review Committee that was set up.
0: I was going to ask you also about potential reform to the competition law. Because often once a competition authority starts actively enforcing the law in digital markets, that starts to show potential gaps or the need for adaptations in the existing law. Tell us about the committee that was recently commissioned to review the law in this area and consider whether reforms were required to address issues in digital markets.
2: What were... In your view, it's most important recommendations. The important ones, say for example, the zero price that comes in the digital market. If consumer is not paying, how can it be consumers? So the definition of price in the existing act takes into account every valuable consideration, whether direct or indirect. So in that sense, the payment in form of personal data will come within the existing Definition of price, so that was fine. That no uh, kind of amendment is needed on that. Then uh, committee also looked into the vertical restraints, particularly the presence of MFN clauses. It found that in the provisions related with the anti-competitive agreements, the law basically deals with vertical restraints and horizontal restraints. So the committee suggested to add a. Word other agreements, so that if there are other arrangements like conglomerate arrangements and something like that, can come into effect. That that was more to make sure that things do not fall through the cracks. So that's a new
0: provision that will ensure things like hub-and-spoke agreements can be caught, and they will be dealt with by a rule of reason test. What about the provisions on cartels or collusion? Did the committee consider whether or not your existing Prohibition on anti competitive agreements would capture so called algorithmic collusion, which a number of competition authorities have been considering?
2: Yes, they looked into the fact whether collusion can come into the present definition of cartel, and they found it, yet it can. So there's no need to amend.
1: So i just like to add that the committee also said that there was an absence of credible evidence showing that there could be anti-competitive consequences of algorithmic collusion, and therefore that sort of there needs to be more studies done to find that out. So that's also something that played on their minds.
0: I think that's certainly reflective of the fact that it's an area yet to be properly tested, and so conservatism on the part of... Competition agency and lawmakers is probably the right way to go. What about abuse of dominance, though, and in particular the issue of whether or not data might be a source of market power? Did the committee look at that issue?
2: Yes, yes, committee looked into that issue, but again, side away from amending the law. But it suggests that the words of the existing law, particularly under Section 19, is broad enough to include control over data, quote unquote, and network effects as a factor for determining a dominant position.
1: I just want to make one point on abuse of dominance. One other thing that the committee mentioned was whether we should consider abuse of dominance in platforms by companies that are not yet dominant. And they wanted to look into that more in detail, but they said that it's too early for us to change our law to consider companies that are not yet dominant abusing their platform power. So they said that this needs to be studied further before we can make any recommendations to change the law.
0: And so that would involve perhaps potentially lowering the bar or lowering the threshold for finding a company dominant? Yes,
1: I would say. They haven't gone into what that would involve, but they say that we need to study this further. Right.
0: Well, talking about making sure companies don't become too dominant, what about in the case of merger control, were there any moves there of the kind we've seen in other countries to lower the notification threshold or change it in some way? Yes.
2: The merger threshold, uh, the... Commission Law Review Committee has suggested to include deal value or size of the transaction can be included.
0: Right, so like we've seen in Germany and Austria, to make transaction value the trigger?
2: So it has suggested. It's on government now to whether I accept this or not.
0: The committee does reference German developments quite a lot. So I was just wondering, and you might be able to help us with this, Shilpi, how has the bundeskarte rather controversial action against Facebook being viewed in India, if there's been any reaction amongst commentators. And is it conceivable we would see the CCI applying an exploitative abuse provision in a similar case in
1: your country? There's been a lot of praise of the German Facebook decision in India. And given the way that the CCI's jurisprudence has evolved, I wouldn't be surprised if the CCI did take a similar approach. So the competition review committee also talks about exploitative abuses in the sense of like excessive pricing as a kind of exploitative abuse that needs to also be thought about. So exploitative abuses might be something that the CCI takes more into account in the future.
0: That's interesting. In Australia, we saw the ACCC recently hand down a major report in a digital platforms inquiry. And it took the view that the type of data collection and combination practices of Facebook that were treated as an exploitative abuse in Germany, in Australia, they would be dealt with under consumer protection or unfair trading laws. Does India have separate laws dealing with those matters that would also potentially be invoked in such a case?
2: A new competition protection law has come in India, in fact, and there was a gap on unfair trading practices. Previous Consumer Protection Act didn't neither this competition law, but the new competition act that has come in this year, rules for which is in the process to be made. So the law has been passed and is there. So we can see the unfair practices person can be dealt into consumer protection. Act.
1: One of the criticisms of the early jurisprudence coming out from the CCI was that it was acting more like a consumer protection authority than a competition authority. It was more interested in protecting consumers than in regulating markets. And that was a big source of criticism. So I think this is an area where the CCI is, I think, going to be also treading a little bit carefully.
0: There have been some interesting recent developments relating to personal data privacy in India, and in particular the imminent passage of a new bill that is very similar, as I understand it, to the European GDPR. It grants extensive rights to data subjects in India to have their data protected and puts limitations on collecting and processing it, but the most controversial aspect of this is a data localization policy. Ushwal, you might tell us, what does that policy involve? Data
2: is being seen in India at least from three aspects. One is that privacy and protection aspect. Second aspect is data as having economic value. And the third aspect is national security or cyber security aspect. So from the privacy angle, i do not think the data localization aspect would have much advantage the draft law that suggests that a copy of personal data should also be in india so well that means that the law
0: would require personal data on indian citizens to be stored on indian territory so actually on a server or in a data center in india is that the idea
2: also in india a copy can be in India. Can in be fact. kept
0: elsewhere, right. Okay. Yeah,
2: on personal data. But on sensitive data, there are categorization of personal, sensitive and critical data, which has not yet been defined as such. One notification by the Reserve Bank of India, the Central Bank, which is also the regulator for the bank, they have notified that all the e-payments data or the payments data of Indians has to be only in India. I mean, that is the kind of rule that is troublesome to many of the global players, particularly the e-commerce ecosystem, in fact, because e-commerce involves cross-border flow of payment data. So how to deal with that? To our surprise, the Paytm, the leader in the e-payment system, supported that <laughs> because they already have competitive advantage because they store data in India. So maybe to have that competitive advantage in market, they supported that. But.
0: Isn't there a concern that a policy like this might deter global tech companies from doing business in India despite the size of the market? I've heard it said somewhere that the requirement to store data locally could raise Costs by some 30 to 60 percent and wouldn't even guarantee
2: data security. That's very true. That has been the cut's position as well. That before finalizing this policy, we should have cost-benefit analysis. The argument in favor of this is largely that there will be huge investment in data storage system and from that storage, we can create jobs and things like that. But I don't think that argument to be that viable in terms of if smaller players are using clouds of, say, for example, Microsoft or Amazon, whether the new Indian entity that is uh, storing data in India will be able to give at the same price because at that moment of the investment may be high. So those are the things, cost and benefit analysis. But I think the larger picture that, perhaps India is seeing is that in the whole digital economy, 90% of economic value of digital economy is accruing only to US and Chinese companies. Yes. So if at all in that ecosystem, if at all there are Indian players, but the larger economic gain is going somewhere else, but we have that potential being a large consumer base and large data generating country. We have that leverage to create national champion or giant, which can be globally competing. So there is a kind of sense that the policy wants to support such kind of effort by an Indian. For instance, the draft e-commerce policy also distinguishes between the Indian and foreign platforms. It says that Indians' data are largely Indians' data. And just like natural resources and mines. So a non-Indian may not have that same right over that data. So is it fair to say that there
0: is a degree of conservatism on the part of the CCI when it comes to enforcing the competition rules in digital markets? But at the same time, from what Ushwal has been saying, I get the distinct impression that the Indian government is looking to pull a whole range of other policy levers to shore up competition and spur innovation in these markets, and in particular, supporting local industry in that respect. Ushwal, do you think I've got the summary right, or would you like to qualify or add to it?
2: Yes, you have. I mean, this is also our feeling that what is called as a cautious approach or in regulatory terms, a sandbox approach that lets watch and understand and then intervene. I think CCI has been cautious enough, and which is good enough on the account of CCI to be cautious enough. But there are signals, like I said, of the Bayer Monsanto, that it can go beyond that. And another thing, I will also like to flag that CCI not only me function, but also has an advocacy function, which is legally mandated. Very recently, they had done a market study on e-commerce. And they have released interim observations on that and they have flagged the dual role of platform neutrality being compromised and many other things. So the issues are getting into the ecosystem and the encouragement that I see from Bayer Monsanto's digital aspect of it that CCI may be going to be more deeper into analysis and may intervene more as it has been intervening in the past, in fact.
1: I completely agree with Ujwal here. So our finance minister recently said that we need to be very careful about protecting our domestic companies from these foreign companies abusing their dominance. So I feel that there is now this idea of nationalism and protecting our data the idea, of course, of our new cooperation law was to completely dismantle that regime, but I was just thinking that that's something that we are coming back to with protecting our small and medium enterprises, protecting our companies from foreign companies, protecting our data. So I think there's now a trend that's come, as Ujwal pointed out, happening in this area towards protectionism. Well, I'd
0: say we've only just skated the surface of the many developments afoot in digital competition policy in India. But one thing's clear, like so many others, this is a country trying to chart its own course through uncharted waters, steering technology to ensure maximum gains while minimizing the risks so that we all reap the benefits. Next on Competition Law, I'm particularly excited to be sharing with you an episode with Matt Perot. Matt has spent the last eight years in the cauldron, that is, as Policy Director at Facebook in the US, and he's recently moved to become the Director of a Centre for Science and Technology Policy at Duke University. Until then, you can find links to the BRICS report in the show notes and other resources and links you know where, competition L-O-R-E dot com. Competition Law was produced by writtenandrecorded.com. I'm Karan Beaton-Wells.